0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 281 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, it's Thursday, and you know what that means. We are here, as we are every week, to talk all things AEW. And NXT coming off a very interesting week, I guess is the best way I can probably put it, for both shows. We have NXT still on its road to Stand and Deliver, building that card for WrestleMania weekend. While AEW is kind of in the zone right now where it's trying to find its footing and start setting up storylines for... Double or nothing uh, feuds and storylines for their next pay per view, which is still, of course, a few months away. So, look, plenty to talk about on today's show. The Silver King is riding solo, so we're not going to waste a lot of time today. In fact, we're going to start this episode of Getting Over the way we start every episode of Getting Over, and that's by reminding you that this show. So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave a five-star rating on Apple, also leave a review, let people know why you listen to the show, why you subscribe to the show, and why they should as well. Those ratings are super important, the reviews on Apple are even more important, and of course, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it live on this show. So please, leave more of those five-star reviews, it's WrestleMania season, the Silver King needs your help. We're growing every single month, but this is a month where we can have exponential growth if you guys help us. I know how many of you listen to the show. I know how many reviews and ratings we have. It's not equal. It's not even close. Please take five to 10 seconds, leave a five-star rating, and review. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast for episode releases, polls, wrestling news, GIFs, videos, all that good stuff. Follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast cast. So let's just get into today's show, really. I don't have uh, much of an intro for you. We do have a lot to talk about coming out of AEW and NXT. As a reminder for all of these episodes, just like every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we have timestamps in our episode description. So if you're only an AEW viewer, if you're only an NXT viewer, you can skip to your respective spot. But of course, I always hope that you listen to the entire show because Even if you're not watching the other product, you should really know at least what's going on. And I like to think, let me do a little Barry Horowitz, I'll pat myself on the back, I like to think The Silver King does a pretty good job wrapping up each show generally in about 20 minutes, right? So take 20 minutes of your life and listen to the show you don't watch. Hopefully you guys are watching everything though, because I'm watching everything and and that's what I expect out of my audience. Anyway, let's get to it. This week we are going to start with AEW, which I kind of want to say off the bat, the first hour of Dynamite on Wednesday was like balls to the wall, fantastic wrestling production, great show, really fun, all that type of stuff. The second hour, not so much. Uh Not my favorite. Uh It was definitely a tale of two hours, I will say, on Dynamite this week. And you guys know my thoughts about Rampage. It's just a show that I don't feel needs to be watched every week. Um, I do it. I do it for you guys. And because I always hope that something happens on it that like gets my juices flowing. But Most weeks, I mean, you can really, if you wanted to, uh, DVR it, you could get through an episode of Rampage, and I'd say 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and not miss much of what actually happened on the show. So, hey, let's break it all down. I'm going to start with the opening match on Dynamite. We had CM Punk fighting Dax Harwood in a singles match. Uh, Punk got the crowd hot, trying for an elbow drop. Dax ruined it with a superplex. Harwood then hit a drive, a diving headbutt, not a driving headbutt, there's no such thing as that, a diving headbutt for a 2.5. They did the vertical suplex over the top rope spot. Punk hit a diving crossbody for a near fall and locked in the Anaconda Vice for a close submission. Dax caught Punk with a slingshot sit-down powerbomb off the ropes for a 2.9. Should have been three. I mean, he, he was down for three. The referee just didn't count it. Harwood countered Go to Sleep into a sharpshooter, another Bret Hart reference, but Punk got the Anaconda Vice back on him. For the win via submission, a punk match opening dynamite. Look, it's always going to get the crowd going, right? And it was hot, even when at the beginning it was kind of slow. But it picked up massively down the stretch. Incredibly entertaining match with a great finish. Outside of that one pinfall botch, I went four stars and an A minus for this to open the show. Uh, FTR said later backstage that Gun Club was spoiled brats and they would fight them next week. Dax was really strong on the mic here as he usually is. It's a clear babyface turn for FTR presumably to set up whatever they are going to do with Bret Hart. I mean, there's been no reports of that, but everything they're doing makes it pretty freaking obvious that Bret Hart's going to be in AEW now. I don't know if it's a short run as their manager. They're actually going to sign Bret Hart. I don't know exactly what's happening, but it really feels like we're at least going to get a Bret Hart appearance at some point. Uh, The whole setup with the guns was they were in the crowd and talked five seconds of trash after the bell. That wasn't necessarily intriguing. The one thing that I did wonder coming out of all of this is, what exactly is next for CM Punk? Because it sure as hell to me seems like they're setting him up for a title match with Hangman Adam Page a Double or Nothing. So if you're going to get there, that you, know, you have two choices. You can do the face versus face route, which is what they would both be right now. Or over a short period of time, you can either turn Punk heel or turn him tweener and kind of get him in that role. There's plenty of time to do it, but... Hangman is kind of like wallowing in obscurity right now, despite being AEW world champion. Punk, of course, is one of the hottest people in the entire company because it's such a big name. I don't know how they're going to get there, but, you know, it does seem like it's something that's going to happen uh, over the next, you know, month to six weeks that they really start setting this up. Uh, MJF came out on Dynamite with Sean Spears and a bunch of security guards saying it was a shame Wardlow choked last week in the TNT title match. MJF said he meant it when he said Wardlow could keep the title if he won, but Wardlow ruined that by all of his actions. MJF also said he had CM Punk beat Ed Revolution just like he did twice in Chicago, and then Punk cheated to win, Uh, but MJF would give him the most embarrassing loss of his career the next time they fight whenever that is, and he said their feud would not be over until he attends Punk's funeral and pisses on his grave. Uh, MJF also said his new name for Wardlow is Pig because he's greedy. And he basically said Wardlow, when he signed the contract with MJF, signed a deal with the devil that's ironclad, so he's not going to release him. He'll make him do whatever he wants because he owns him. MJF called Wardlow's mother a skank and threatened to get her evicted. Wardlow, of course, got angry by that. So he came down. A dozen security guards stopped him cold. MJF said he's going to pay Wardlow to stay home until everyone forgets he existed and he becomes a nobody like the day MJF signed him. A lot of people were drawing parallels to this. With WWE and Mustafa Ali, I I really don't think they were going for that directly, even though there is an obvious parallel. I just don't think it was purposeful. Maybe that's me being naive and and everything AEW does. um, If it it could potentially relate to WWE, it does, um, which I I know is what a lot of other people believe. I don't think this was purposefully that way. Um, I just think it was really him saying, look, you're under contract to me. I'm not going to have you do shit. Uh, Now, the question is, what happens with all of this, right? Um, Is it a situation where Tony Khan maybe signs Wardlow to Ring of Honor now that he owns that? And Wardlow fights on Ring of Honor for an extended period of time until his contract runs out, until Tony buys him out of it, until Wardlow does something that makes MJF release him. You know, it's clear that they started this feud at Revolution. I have to assume they're going to have a match at Double or Nothing, That means they have plenty of time to get there. They have the majority of three months to still get there, but I am curious to see exactly how it's going to play out where Wardlow is in this ironclad contract, but then somehow gets out of it and is able to fight MJF, wrestle in AEW, get signed by AEW, whatever the case might be. Uh, But this whole thing ended with MJF telling the crowd that Pinnacle is not dead, but now that Wardlow's gone, they need to get back to business, FTR included. All of that is good and interesting, especially since it's pretty clear that FTR is trying to turn face. So there is going to be some consternation there. Maybe it's a situation where FTR gets kicked out and replaced. All of that is interesting and good storytelling. Uh, This was definitely, though, one of those promos from MJF where his attempts to create outrage felt forced. It was definitely like a step down from the final couple of weeks of the Punk feud and more like the beginning of that feud where it was kind of aimless and messy, with just a lot of screaming. I am intrigued to see what he does next, where Pinnacle goes without Punk, uh, Wardlow not being in the picture at this time. So I am curious, but you know it's not the hottest thing, and it's not the best work that he can do. And we've seen there was a very clear delineation between MJF at his best and MJF trying to create headlines and draw outrage. And this was definitely the latter. Uh, we had Brian Danielson and John Moxley fight the Varsity Blondes on Dynamite. The Blondes did get some offense, but Danielson hit the running knee before Mox hit the paradigm shift. Then they both battered the Blondes and locked in submissions for the tap-out win. William Regal came down after being on commentary. Mox said he's lucky and blessed with his career, but Regal is the only person he ever cared to learn from. He said he earned Regal's seal of approval and wears it proudly. Mox put over Danielson also, and he said if anyone wants a badge from the Blackpool Combat Club, they have to earn it the hard way. Good match, good promo. Good storyline, loving everything about this. I am ready for them though to add another member. And you guys know how much I love tag team names. Like, you know, when two people get thrown together, they should have a tag team name. Blackpool Combat Club is a great name for the stable, for the faction. I would love if there was some type of Mox Danielson tag team name that was formed, a logo, all that good type of stuff. I think that is something that would get people really excited uh, but all this was really good. Also, they did something cool with Julia Hart during the whole match. She sat on the steel steps depressed and didn't watch any of the match. She had her eye patch on. I like how they weaved in an update on her status into the whole thing. But let's also not forget that happened months ago where Malachi Black spit in her face. Like, what is taking so long? <laughs> like, like why hasn't she developed or transformed or whatever the hell they're going to do with her? Why is it taking months upon months? And why are they kind of They've shown her before, but they're just now actually getting back to it on television. It just seems like it's been far too delayed, where the interest level in it has kind of disappeared. Backstage, uh, Trent Beretta confronted Wheeler Yuda, angry that he sought Regal's approval uh, because it was a slap in the face to best friends who trained Yuda. Yuda struggled mightily through a promo, saying he didn't really like Trent either, and he was going to look out for himself. It was not a good segment. Uh, On Dynamite, the main event of the show was Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia, against John Silver and Alex Reynolds. There was a picture of Silver as a fan and an autograph signing with Jericho from like 10 years ago. Jericho and Danny Garcia cut promos on Dark Order saying they'd future endeavor them because of course this is what this gimmick is now. Uh, with JAS now clear heels, they really should not be coming out to Judas anymore and the crowd like singing along with it. It was one thing when Inner Circle was doing it because Inner Circle was cool. So even when Inner Circle were heels, It still kind of made sense that the fans would sing along with Fozzie and and, and Judas and all that type of stuff. But Matt Menard basically screamed the same thing before the bell, that Jericho shouldn't allow um, the fans to sing Judas. And really, the way you stop that is by not playing Judas. They should just pick another Fozzie song and use it as Jericho's new entrance. That's a heel move. That's what you want. Um, Or I guess they could potentially make the argument, we're sports entertainers, and the fans singing along as sports entertainment. So maybe they go in that direction. But considering, like, Menard was so angry about it, and I think it was the second time that he mentioned it, that does tell me that they might change the song. I think they definitely should change the song. Anyway, like I said, this was the main event. Dark Order hit a tope suicida-assisted brainbuster on Jericho, plus an assisted European uppercut on Garcia. The referee got confused and ejected the remaining Dark Order members. Jericho missed a lion salt. Silver went on his extra hot tag and got a 2.8 on Jericho after a flying crossbody. Jericho got a 2.5 on Silver after the codebreaker. Dark Order hit their combined cutter, German suplex bridge type of move for a 2.8 that again should have been three. Hager caught Silver flying for a slam outside that somehow wasn't a disqualification. I guess the referee just didn't see it, but I mean, it was a big part of the match. Uh, Jericho then hit Reynolds in the back with his bat, and Garcia won over Reynolds with the sharpshooter. I was wondering the whole time watching this, why 2.0, wasn't the tag team in the match, given they're a tag team and Jericho and Garcia are not. This is the exact same thing that happened with Inner Circle, where Santana and Ortiz would not wrestle the tag team matches. It would always be Jericho and Hager or Jericho and Sammy. And I know Jericho's the name. I get it. And I know they want Jericho wrestling. They want to pop, to pop the rating, all that. But he's not the tag team in this group. Let the tag team wrestle the tag team matches, you want to get them over as well. They should not just be hangers-on, which is what they're being treated as now, just like Santana and Ortiz were in Inner Circle. That's all disappointing. Um, But in addition to that, I was curious the way they booked this, given Dark Order coming in was the number one ranked tag team and presumably in line for a title shot. The wrestling was good. The finish did help establish JAS as the new faction. I went 3.5 stars in B for the match. It didn't really measure up, to a couple of others that were on the show. And it was one of many matches on the show that had a referee distraction, interference slash low blow slash weapon finish. It just happened constantly throughout this entire episode. So let's go over to Rampage. We had Darby Allen versus The Butcher. Darby hit code red and then a coffin drop outside to win via countout. The AFO attacked post-match. The Hardys made the save without touching anyone. Same type of stuff every week. Darby doing that move sequence and winning via countout on Rampage against the Butcher, for me, was a total waste. This is something that you save, that kind of sequence and that kind of finish to the match, for like a big hot feud that he's in, where he beats someone via countout, that person's like, you didn't pin me or submit me, it's bullshit, we should have a rematch, and then you have the match at the pay-per-view or the main event episode of Dynamite. Instead, they use something that was pretty cool and inventive, threw it away on Rampage against the Butcher. It just, to me, that made no sense. So we move over to Dynamite. We have Darby Allen, Sting, and the Hardys against AFO in a tornado tag team match. Except instead of a tornado match, they basically treated it as a falls count anywhere match. They just went all over the arena. Darby and Sting did splashes at the bell. Everyone went into the crowd. It was no DQ, so Andrade used weapons, even though he wasn't in the match. Butcher slammed Darby into the bomb twice and then literally threw him down a flight of stairs. Matt looked like he was cosplaying the Hardy Boys and ate a low blow before taking a double side effect off the stage through a table. Now, you would think, okay, those three people are out of the match. They were not. Um, Then we flash over to the concourse and there's a merchandise table. Jeff Hardy climbs a ladder onto a ledge and does a double swanton bomb through Butcher and Blade. It's slightly missed. He slid off the table. He was completely okay. But again, it was like, okay, really cool spot for Jeff Hardy. Why are we throwing it kind of away in a Tornado tag team match on Dynamite against the AFO? Like, this is a guy who just recently talked about saving his Swantons because he only had so many left and they really hurt him to do. And he's doing that. But okay, again, you know, just a little criticism. Back in the ring, Sting no-sold the chair shot. Hit Stinger splashes in the Scorpion death drop. Matt hit the twist of fate on private party to get the win. It was a banger of a match. Don't get me wrong, non-stop action from bell to bell all over the place. I just wish they had kept more of it in the ring in front of the fans. And again, the swanton felt unnecessary given there were no stakes in the match, though it was an awesome spot and to be able to get that on TV and get that highlight going on Twitter, it was definitely awesome and really cool to see, of course. On dynamite we had Adam Cole against Jay Lethal. Cole turned his back to do the boom pose and got dropkicked before eating three tope suicidas. Lethal got a figure four, but Cole reached the ropes. Lethal countered last shot with a cutter, but Cole countered Lethal Injection with a super kick before hitting Panama Sunrise for a 2.8 false finish. Cole missed last shot, but Red Dragon distracted the referee during an O'Connor roll. Cole hit a low blow to counter Lethal Injection again and landed last shot for the win. He said, no one on the planet deserves the AEW title more than him. And Hangman Adam Page got lucky at Revolution. So like I said, another referee distraction, cheating finish. Cole called Page a coward. So obviously Hangman came out. He took off his belt and literally smacked Cole and Bobby Fish in the face, the belt on his pants, not the championship. Uh, Cole hit a low blow. They beat him down. Cole stole the title and walked out with it as Jurassic Express made the save without landing a shot. The crowd was hot as hell for the finish to the match. And they put on an extremely good one, Cole and Lethal. I went 3.75 stars and a B B+. But this storyline is agonizing. And it is so repetitive. We've seen all of this happen before. The attack, the save, Paige not getting the time in the ring, Cole getting featured. AEW talks about not doing rematches. Not only are they doing rematches, they're doing them with the world title. I am so done with this feud. I, I, my assumption is is they're either gonna do another battle of the belts where Paige defends against Cole or main events at Dynamite, because they're not gonna, I, I, I have to believe they're not gonna delay this all the way out to Double or Nothing. Like I said, I think Hangman versus CM Punk or potentially Adam Cole if he wins the title against CM Punk. That will be the match for Double or Nothing. But I have to assume that they're doing this as a mini TV feud. It just, to me, it feels like they could have gone with someone else to give Paige a new opponent in feud the rundown from Jurassic Express, the same people saving Paige, it is just everything about it is insanely repetitive. And again, this is your world champion barely getting television time, where almost everyone else does. That is super infuriating. On Rampage, Scorpio Sky did a promo with Dan Lambert and Paige Van Zant. Lambert had the second TNT title, which still exists for some reason because now he's calling himself the co-TNT champion. PVZ said something about being better than guys. They've just really taken the TNT title down a huge peg. I mean, this is the title that was like making banger matches on shows, great storylines with Brody Lee and, and Cody and Darby Allen was doing great. And Sammy's run, it wasn't awesome, but he was having great matches. Now it's in with the Dan Lambert, Paige Van Zant thing. And it's like, I don't want anything to do with this. I just actively dislike it. When it's on my television. And then it moves over to Dynamite, where Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti were in the ring together. Sammy said he doesn't have the TNT title, but he does have the ring and he can still pop the fans with his wrestling. Guevara said that response is all he wanted until now. Conti said they want payback and insulted PVZ's record. Lambert did his normal screaming promo filled with insults. He basically called Conti a whore and they walked off without accepting an intergender match challenge. Sammy then suggested he and Ty banged each other on top of the belt, which I will say was a funny line. But besides that last line from Sammy, the rest of this was brutal. I will also note uh, that Sammy and Ty Conti uh, shared a picture on Twitter after the show of them naked in bed, basically, with the TNT title covering their privates. So um, that was pretty funny, I think, to follow up that with the photo. But this thing was brutal, man. Like, Again, why is this feud still going on when Sammy lost the title? Shouldn't Scorpio be moving on to a new challenger? Shouldn't he be defending the title on TV as frequently as Sammy and Darby Allen and all those guys did? I know he defended it last week and it's only been one week that he hasn't. I'm not saying it has to be on every show. My point is, is they're just going right back into the Sammy feud and it seems like they're going to do Sammy and Ty Conti against, I don't know. Scorpio Sky and Paige Van Zant at some point like is that a match anyone really wants to see I also got a, a DM from Omar Gonzalez at the Omar Gonzalez he said are Sammy and Ty the new Cody and Brandy the heel couple who are poorly miscast as baby faces I asked because they did not come off likable at all in that Lambert promo especially considering Sammy proposing to his girlfriend last year remember Pam so I actually completely forgot that happened Um, that wasn't in kayfabe though. I believe that was done during a commercial break or off screen. So technically that's not part of the story. Fans should know that. Um, and I guess remember it now that we're talking about it, but that's not kayfabe. So no, in kayfabe, he has no reason to be the bad guy, right? I will admit though, they did kind of come off like heels when they kind when they cut that promo, the reason they were not heels is because they were cast against Dan Lambert, Uh, American top team, men of the year, whatever the hell, Scorpio Sky, whatever that thing is now. So I still think they're in the babyface role. I think fans really like Ty and certainly like Sammy as well. So there's not much of a concern that I think they're going to be miscast or booed when they're supposed to be cheered or anything like that. But I do agree that them being so braggy about their relationship and putting it front and center and talking about being a hot couple, perhaps, or, or things along those lines. It's not that dissimilar from Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford, that thing that they had going. So you do kind of wonder, is this sustainable or is it just pretty repetitive, right? We're, we're only going to know as we watch it and as we find out. On Rampage, Keith Lee fought Max Caster. First time in a long time, I thought Caster nailed his rap going to the ring. Powerhouse Hobbs came out uh, to watch after a couple minutes Caster failed to lift Lee and ate the Big Bang Catastrophe for the loss. Hobbs did the post-match attack. Ricky Starks ran down to join. The Acclaimed made it four-on-one. Finally, Swerve made the save with the chair. Didn't touch anyone. Again, you know you know, I'm saying these things. It's very repetitive as I kind of go through them. That was it. I thought it was very low energy and disappointing. You have two of my favorite wrestlers, Keith Lee and Swerve, that are clearly teaming up in whatever the hell this feud is with the acclaimed and team Taz simultaneously. You have these guys teaming up. That's exciting. And yet it's just kind of blah. And it's just something that's happening on Rampage. And these these are the two newest people debuting in AEW. Number one and two, Keith Lee and Swerve. And they're already relegated to Rampage. That is just, for me, incredibly disappointing. On Dynamite Thunder Rosa, you want to talk about it, disappointing. Uh, made her first appearance as champion for an interview. They saved this until 9.40 p.m. And it was actually one of the things I was most looking forward to on the show. Before her music even ended, forget trying to speak, Vicky Guerrero yelled that Rosa wasn't a real Texan and should go back to Mexico. Rosa tried to talk and Vicky immediately cut her off. She made comments about her green card. Then Nyla Rose weakly attacked her from behind. Vicky kept screaming. This was absolutely horrendous. To not let Rosa say a word. To have Vicky completely dominate her verbally and even physically by standing up to her and towering. Vicky's a, a not. i I'm not saying in terms of weight, but in, in stature, she's a larger woman than Rosa is. To not have Ro- Rosa be smart enough as champion to expect the attack, knowing that Vicky Guerrero's out there. This was an absolutely horrible way to introduce a new champion. Point zero. Point zero. Jeff Wiseman at Jeff0918, he wrote in, why does AEW always insist on giving title shots to Nyla? There are so many better options on the roster. So it is true that there are many better options on the roster, but a new champion being able to beat Nyla Rose, who is large in size, strong, she is a good wrestler and certainly capable um, and has challenged multi- from multiple the title multiple times, being able to get over her does present a good picture of the new champion. It says, look, not only did this person beat Britt Baker, but she's taken down one of the other formidable competitors in AEW. It's similar to the Lance Archer situation. I didn't like that because they threw it together and there was really no storyline as to why it happened. But Paige beating Archer is a significant victory because he's a dominant type of force. So I don't mind Nyla being in the spot, but the way they did it was sloppy. It made Thunder Rosa, the new champion, look like absolute shit. And by the way, what did I just say about Hangman Adam Page? The guy got no time on the show. The women's champion got no time on the show. In fact, the tag team champions, they did the run-in that we just mentioned with Page. That's all we saw of them. So your three main champions were barely on the show and maybe said a combined... I think Paige said a couple words maybe, or he may have said nothing. I don't even remember what, what happened there. May have said zero words combined uh, for all of them on the entire show. And their appearances are like flicks. They're, they're one-offs. They're quick. They're in and out rather than having matches or cutting promos or telling a story or building anything. It's it, it just, it's incredibly disappointing. If you don't want Thunder Rosa to speak, don't do an interview segment with her. Have her cut a taped promo. Have her get attacked backstage. There's a million other things you can do. It's very formulaic and it's very annoying to me as a viewer. On Rampage, Layla Hirsch fought Red Velvet. I want to talk about annoying. Uh, So they brawled on the ramp. Hirsch grabbed the wrench from under the ring when the new look Statlander stole it away from her. Velvet hit like Trouble in Paradise, basically. Got a sloppy one, two, three. Great booking is having one party in a feud lose before the match itself if you can't tell, that's sarcasm. And when I say match itself, I'm referring to clearly another Hirsch-Statlander match, which they're building to. Why would you have her lose in this spot? Doesn't make sense. That was awful. And then on Dynamite, they ran it back. They gave us Hirsch-Velvet in the same week, five days later. I just couldn't imagine this. With Statlander barred from ringside, Velvet hit Trouble in Paradise again, Hirsch rolled outside and grabbed a wrench. The referee took it away from her, but she had another weapon hidden that she was able to hit Red Velvet with to get the win. Then she tapped her out after the bell. Statlander made the save. These were the only two women, Layla Hirsch and Red Velvet, that fought on AEW television this week. They had nearly identical matches on Rampage and on uh, Dynamite. They, I know their women's roster is not like stacked to the moon. I get it. There are so many women, though on this roster that are better wrestler. Layla is a very good wrestler, but there are so many women on this roster that are more entertaining or should be cycled in and out of stuff than these two. I could go and name you 12 other women that I would have liked to have seen wrestle on Dynamite instead of continuing this feud, which by the way, they could have continued on Rampage. Like if you want to do a Rampage feud, then do it next week. And yes, I would have made the same comment. Well, they're just running this back two weeks in a row. That would be true, but at least it wouldn't have been five days apart. You know, at least it would have been seven days apart. This was horrendous. Uh, And then on Dynamite, we also had Jade Cargill. She wouldn't announce her next opponent, but said that they have a huge celebration planned with a ton of green stuff, exotic dancers, more. At least she didn't say for once, that bitch show. So, okay, I thought it was decent backstage. When, When they're doing this thing where she's not gonna announce her next opponent, that to me makes it seem as if there's gonna be a surprise or a debut or a return or something like that. If this is how they're going to debut someone to just throw it out on Rampage without any build, that will be disappointing. Uh, On Rampage, we had House of Black versus Bear Country and Fuego del Sol. I don't know why this match happened. I I just couldn't put my finger on it at all. Like, they created a three-man team just to fight House of Black when they have all of these three-man teams in AEW. Tagging completely disappeared very quickly. Fuego was left on his own. Buddy Matthews' twisting Death Valley Driver finisher. House of Black did get to shine here for a moment, and they did look good. Uh, Penta Oscuro and Alex Abrahantis thanked House of Black for changing them, but said, Penta feels alive in the darkness. Penta looks like a total badass. Alex looks like he's dressed like Dracula for Halloween or something. It is awful. Also on Rampage, QT Marshall said the world is buzzing about Hook beating him at Revolution. He said next week he'll present his prize student a certificate of accomplishment. I don't know why this is still happening. Why is QT getting promo time on TV given the size of AEW's roster? Why is why are they continuing this feud when Hook already beat QT Marshall and has already beat other people in the factory? I just don't understand. I, like I said, hour one may have been, and I think I could probably say was the best hour of wrestling television. week, single hour, 60 minutes. Hour one of Dynamite was fantastic. Hour two fell off massively. It wouldn't be a top three or four hour of wrestling television this week when you combine all the WWE shows. It just feels like the booking is repetitive. Many of the finishes to matches were the same. There's a lot of rematches with referees, distractions, low blows, weapons. They got to figure out another way to tell stories. I know they don't want to do disqualifications, I get it. You don't have to do it, but they're going away from where people would just win matches clean and you would ask your fans, your viewers to accept that this person lost, but it doesn't mean that they're buried. AEW is going away from that philosophy and it's becoming very formulaic in that regard. It just is. So that's it for this week in AEW. It is time to move over to NXT. This was the penultimate show before NXT stand and deliver. So an absolute ton happened. Some of it great, some of it good, some of it really not good at all. And we're gonna get into all of that right now. Let's get started though with the main event, which was the Women's Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Finals, Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray against Dakota Kai and Wendy Chu. Chu talked about how Kai succeeded last year with Raquel Gonzalez, but turned on her. Kai cut her off and seemingly looked genuinely happy to have a new friend. This was, like I said, the main event. Chu used her pillow to stop Kai from taking the impact of a 619 hysterical, very inventive spot. Shirai and KLR hit a pair of awesome tope suicidas. Kai punted KLR on the top rope, and Chu hit an avalanche belly-to-belly suplex for a near fall. Shirai got the 619 on Kai, but KLR added a diving cannonball. Chu drove Shirai into the post. Kai escaped a gory bomb and turned it into a flipping backbreaker. Kai hit the coup de gras, and Chu landed a top rope vader bomb but Shirai dropkicked Kai into Chu, which broke the fall. Really good spot. Kalar caught Chu with a headbutt and a gory bomb, and then Shirai hit the moon over moonsault perfectly for the win, clean in 13 minutes. This was fantastic all around. Great spots, smart booking. All four women really shined. I went with four stars and an A- for this. Match of the show, easily. Uh, The episode, though, ended in a strange way. So Toxic Attraction came down off their you know, special room, they interrupted the Dusty Cup celebration to talk shit. KLR said she and Shirai entered the Dusty Cup to kill Toxic Attraction by taking out the leader. KLR then botched her promo, but she eventually got out what they wanted to say, which was they wanted to cash in their title opportunity by winning the Dusty Cup, not for the women's tag team titles, but to make the women's championship match a fatal four-way at Stand and Deliver with Mandy Rose and Cora Jade instead of going after Toxic Attraction for the tag team titles. Now, that is certainly an interesting development. I saw a lot of people angry over this. It doesn't make sense in storyline. I agree with that. It doesn't really make any sense in storyline. You had these people be a tag team, win a tag team tournament, where they said for a while that the victor got a tag team title match, not just a title match that they could cash in however they wanted. But I have to believe one of two things happened. The first is that Raquel Gonzalez's injury is real. And that would mean that this was supposed to be a triple threat match and they needed more women to carry the water for Mandy Rose and Cora Jade. Because let's be honest, I've been criticizing it since it was booked. Mandy versus Cora is not a stand and deliver slash takeover, pay-per-view, premium live event, whatever you want to call it. It is not a quality enough women's match to be your main women's championship match on that type of show. The other option is Gigi Dolan is known to be somewhat injured. That injury perhaps could be so serious that they're unable to defend the titles and therefore they needed to figure out something for KLR and Io Shirai to do with the championships. But if either of those situations is true, and and you know what? Maybe both situations are true. That's possible as well. There's better booking scenarios in those cases. If they wanted a multi-women match, then EO and KLR could have challenged for the tag team titles next week on NXT. And that would have given them a really good match for the go-home show. Mandy could have screwed them out of potentially winning the titles, which could have created a scenario where EO and KLR demanded an opportunity for her championship at Stand and Deliver. They could have got added to the title match. Then you're good to go. If the tag team champions couldn't defend the titles, if Gigi Dolan was injured, They should have either vacated them or vacated them and put the titles on the line in the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic or, and or, not, you know, put the titles on the line, but held the finals of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic at Stand and Deliver. So no matter what happened, it could have been done better. They could have booked better TV uh, in the post-match for this week, better TV for next week, and a more sensical story line, sensible storyline, sensible storyline, I'm sorry, for Stand and Deliver. So again, no matter what the booking was, it wasn't great. But now we do get a fatal four-way match for the NXT Women's Championship. And that match with Io Shirai and KLR is miles better than it was with only Mandy Rose and Cora Jade. So the end result is positive. How they got there was very messy. Braun Breaker fought Robert Rude in the singles match. Dolph Ziggler and Rude were interviewed backstage. Roode put himself over for his dominant year-long NXT title reign. And he basically, it set the stage for everything that followed. Ziggler backed up Rude and said Breaker wouldn't measure up to either of them. Roode came out to glorious and got his full entrance with welcome home chance for the crowd. It's honestly wild to me that he never got a run as the glorious heel on the main roster. That's a guy who is a, clear Intercontinental Champion that holds that title for nine months and is a total piece of shit heel. It was a perfect character. They brought him up as a face, which was a huge mistake, and they never allowed him to make that transition with Glorious. Such a disappointment. Anyway, Ziggler tried to join commentary, but there were major mic problems. Rude got a bunch of offense in early. Ziggler pulled him out of the way of a running Braun who flew into the post. Ziggler got tossed from ringside. Rude got even more offense so he taunted by flexing and doing push-ups. Braun hit a Frankensteiner, but Rude came back with a Spinebuster for a near fall. Breaker countered the Glorious DDT and hit his awesome spear for a 2.9, great sell by Rude. Rude countered Braun's finisher into the Glorious DDT, but did not immediately cover and got a 2.8, so that was a nice kick out for Breaker. Braun then caught Rude flying and turned it into his power slam for the 1, 2, 3, in 15 minutes. Ziggler caught Braun blind while he was celebrating with a superkick and then talked trash in his face on the ramp leaning over him with the title. This was such a pleasant surprise. Rude worked his ass off to make Braun look good, but Breaker totally held his own. This was a classic WWF style match. Two strong guys using power moves and just going at it nonstop. It was Rude's best singles match in a long ass time because he actually got time to work. and we got to see the Robert Rude that we all know exists, he really should go back to the glorious character as a heel on the main roster. I cannot stress that enough but I loved this. 3.75 stars and a B plus. Uh, we had two North American Championship ladder match qualifiers. The first was Roderick Strong against Solo Sokoa. Strong hit an Olympic slam for a near fall when Santos Escobar walked out. Sokoa threw some really bad strikes and got a 2.5 on a Samoan drop. Sokoa knocked Strong off the top rope with a headbutt, and then hit the Uso splash for the clean win in about 12 minutes. It wasn't a surprising booking, given Strong is building a story in NXT UK, and it looks like he may fight Isla Dragunov for the championship, but it was quite a decision to go squeaky clean like that, and Roderick Strong has lost a lot recently, so I'm not totally sure what's happening here, but I went three stars and a B-. minus. We also got Grayson Waller against A-Kid. Waller got a promo vignette about being a global sensation, and A-Kid, you know, he said he was talented, but he's just a stepping stone. A-Kid was dynamite from the second the bell rang. He countered Waller's rolling cutter into a rear naked choke, then climbed over him into a guillotine. Waller escaped and hit a Russian leg sweep with both men on the middle rope. So it was like springboard style, Russian leg sweep, really cool. Waller added the rolling cutter for the win in a couple of minutes. This started so freaking hot, but it ended so abruptly. I don't know if it was cut for time. I don't know what they did here, but this match should have been way longer than it was. It was such a disappointment because it looked like we were about to have an awesome match. I don't get that decision as it really didn't give A-Kid a a chance to get over it all in what was only his second NXT US match. So Carmelo, Hayes, and Trick Williams, they pulled up to the arena in a Bentley to break down the qualifying matches at the start of the show. They still have tons of swag. After the Waller match, Melo announced the final qualifier, a triple threat with the losers of the three matches fighting for the last spot, as we discussed and assumed last week. Melo then singled out A-Kid saying he's the A-Champion. And Trick said he's talking, taking out A-Mama, so he ate an insiguri from A-Kid for that insult. Trick continues to have so much charisma. If he puts the wrestling piece together, he is gonna be a star. Now, I assumed coming in that Cameron Grimes is gonna win the qualifier, and he did get a taped promo later about winning for his departed father because he'll do whatever it takes to qualify and hold gold. Given the attention to A-Kid from Mellow, that creates some intrigue that he could potentially win. So it's either a huge victory for Grimes or a send-off situation. I think it's gonna be a win and he'll end up getting into the qualifier. But then you kind of look at A-Kid and you're like, well, why did he get brought over for this if he was just gonna have two short disappointing matches and not you know, get into the the ladder match? Now, the third match, this triple threat could be a banger. And in fact, with Cameron Grimes, Roderick Strong, and A-Kid, it should be an absolute banger next week. But again, his first two matches against Kushida and Grayson Waller, both of which should have been great. Neither of them were. And for me, that was disappointing. Indy Hartwell and Persia Prada argued about a TMZ article, which couple is hotter and who got more Instagram likes. This was so bad it was infuriating, but I was glad that they weren't completely broken up after it seemed like that's what they were going to do last week, I should say. Tony D'Angelo fought Dexter Loomis, Loomis hit a fez press and a follow-away slam before a kip-up, which was impressive. Later, he did a kip-up into a leg drop, which was even more impressive. Indian and Persia argued over the crowbar at ringside when D'Angelo pulled it away from them and accidentally hit Loomis in the face with it without the referee seeing. Then he hit his twisting uh, fisherman suplex slam for the win in 12 minutes. It was a slow, uneventful match that didn't really accomplish anything for either of them. After the match, D'Angelo cut a promo on Tommaso Ciampa, who attacked him from behind and hit Fairytale Ending. Ciampa said Stand and Deliver may be his final chapter in NXT. He'll write his own fairy tale ending. This was typically good stuff from Champa, which obviously is not a surprise. Persia and Duke Hudson later said they didn't do the crowbar spot on purpose. They talked more trash about their relationship and how Hudson could beat anyone. So Loomis got angry and drew a picture of Gunther. Hudson accepted the challenge. There was a comedy spot here, given the drawing was really good, but it also got drawn in like 20 seconds. So that little backstage part was good. The rest of this I could have totally done without. We had Gunther against Hudson later in the show. Gunther chopped Hudson so hard and loud, the crowd literally jumped onto its feet and went nuts chanting, holy shit. I tweeted a video of it, absolutely wild. Hudson jumped over the top rope for a German suplex on Gunther, but he came back with more chops and a huge powerbomb for the win. This was absolutely wild. Gunther went ape shit on Hudson's chest, by the way, uh, and the crowd ate up every single second of it, as I said. The, this was entertaining. I didn't expect that we were randomly, without it being booked, going to get a match that had no water, had no bread. All it had was meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. But sometimes you just need that meat on meat action. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You're good. You're good. Yeah, j- you please time. gently, oh, yeah. gently. I'm, I'm delicate. There was nothing delicate about this. Gunther was awesome. Uh, he remains awesome. And he looks like he is in the best shape of his entire career. It is wild how different he looks as a, I don't want to say, um, when I say skinny, I'm not saying he was fat before because he wasn't, he was large, but he is trimmed and toned. And it is like, this is a main roster superstar. This is a world champion. I mean, we already knew that he had that potential. But now that he looks this way, like if you're Vince McMahon or you're WWE, Bruce Prichard, whoever, and you see this, I don't know how you are okay with him staying in NXT. They have to be salivating over wanting this guy on the main roster. It was great to see. Uh, Gunther cut a post-match promo, putting over his dominance, saying he's been overlooked. LA Knight entered. Gunther called him an embarrassment and said he only gets matches because of his mouth, not his in-ring skill. Knight insulted Gunther then said he wouldn't use his words to get a match for Stand and Deliver. That led to him striking Gunther and immediately getting beaten down by Imperium until MSK made the save and Knight took Gunther out of the ring, I think with a clothesline over the ropes. I'm sure we're going to get a six-man next week, but this was hot as hell. Great stuff in this entire segment. The match, the post-match with Knight, the idea of getting Gunther versus Knight, all of that, huge positive. Grizzled Young Veterans fought the Creed Brothers. We finally got to hear a GYV promo on the way to the ring but it started late and it got cut off early. Why do they do this to us? Julius Creed put Zach Gibson in a stretch muffler for a moment. James Drake hurt his knee jumping off the top rope on a failed doomsday device, and the Creed's took advantage with Brutus hitting a torture rack slam and basement clothesline for the win. Necessary booking, given the Creed's are challenging for the tag team titles, but GYV either needs a better spot or they gotta get called up. I'm gonna repeat it until it happens. It's getting silly at this point. The lights went out after the match, and two guys dressed in all black were shown tearing apart the Diamond Mine training facility, and spray painting, don't cry, on the padded walls. They said since the Creeds can't find them, they will take it into their own hands. I'm not really sure what the reveal is going to be here, but am I intrigued? I'm absolutely intrigued. Electro Lopez fought Fallon Henley in a singles match. Briggs and Jensen pumped Henley up before the bell. Lopez had a new one-piece ring gear and dominated most of the match. The guys in Legado Del Fantasma brawled at ringside to the back. Lopez eventually won with a spinning sit-down powerbomb. This was actually a good little match uh, with both women getting the chance to show some things. Was it great or exceptionally notable? No, but I, I learned more about the skill of both of these women from this match than anything they had done previously. So that was a positive. Uh, Bodie Hayward was reading a speech to the Chase U class putting over Andre Chase and how much he's learned. A student raised his hand and Bodhi went off ranting on his ass. Chase asked him where he learned that anger, Bodhi said from Chase, and they finally made a connection together. Chase then tore the student apart, and Bodhi said he was ready for Von Wagner next week. This was the the most personality we've seen from Hayward so far, and it was welcome. He sparked in this segment and showed some really good charisma. This is a guy where coming out of this, I said to myself, you know what? They might actually have something with this guy. And that's the positive. It's a developmental show. You want people to flash. Wagner and Robert Stone we're watching some social media video that I completely missed from last week, when a woman walked up and said she wanted to talk business, all I have to say is that I've never seen this woman before. But if there was ever going to be a modern day Stacy Keebler slash Tori Wilson in WWE, she would be it. it good, but she's got me saying, hey now. Research tells me her name is Sophia Cromwell, a former Suns dancer and Rams cheerleader, which clearly fits that Stacey Keebler profile I just mentioned. And then lastly, Draco Anthony kept silencing calls from Joe Gacy. Then he played a video message for Zion Quinn, who said that he would have Anthony's back if necessary. Draco threw his phone. I mean, it was nothing. It was fine. Not, nothing really to talk about. I do like, though, that they're telling this low-card story each week while not having anything going on. So it's like, okay, we know we need to get to this. We're going to get to it eventually, but we're not forgetting that it's here. It's a stark contrast to what I just talked about earlier with Julia Hart and AEW, where for like months or weeks, she's completely disappeared. You kind of forgot it was an angle. Here, they're keeping it fresh, even though they're not actually having the match. And I presume they're not gonna have the match until after stand and deliver. But I don't know, maybe they do it on the go-home show. We'll see. Anyway, it was a really good NXT this week, right? Um, Some solid matches, as I talked about. Building for stand and deliver. I didn't love necessarily... The booking of making the Women's Championship a fatal four-way, but the decision to do so is a good one because that match is going to be a lot better. And being able to see not only Robert Roode, but, you know, via Robert Roode, Braun Breaker look exceptionally strong in that match was good. Uh, The North American Championship ladder match, the qualifiers, there's been one great one so far out of three, but the people that are qualifying for the match give you really high hopes for the ladder match at Stand and Deliver. And honestly, if they add Gunther versus LA Knight to that show... Uh, or potentially Roderick Strong against Isla Dragunov in an NXT UK title match. These are all things that could make Stand and Deliver just an absolutely baller show. The fact that it's happening at 1 p.m., the first Saturday of WrestleMania, night one, uh, you know, it really makes me think, like, what the hell is that day going to be like? How am I going to go from watching a three and a half, potentially, hour Stand and Deliver into, you know... at least a three and a half hour Wrestlemania that's clearly gonna have a two hour kickoff show. That is a lot of wrestling all in one day. Uh, But I will say they're building up the card to be a takeover level card, given the talent, of course, that's still in NXT. And the last thing I'll say, and I've said this for the last few weeks now, this is not the NXT 2.0 that we had when it first debuted. This show is progressively getting better every single week. And this was also the third straight week where the ratings went up. It went up like 60,000, 15,000 and 5,000 over each of the last three weeks. That's really good news. If if NXT can get this into the 700,000 viewer range and they can get it above, a, I don't know, 0.2 or 0.22 demo, something like that. Now you're talking about something that isn't just acceptable to USA Network, but it might be something that USA Network gets behind. Clearly what they're doing with you know twirling in uh, some raw personalities and and letting NXT people fight on Raw and promoting it, it's clearly attracting at least a very small portion of the audience. Now what they need to do is really turn the dial up on, on NXT and go back to that high quality wrestling and storytelling and keep some of those things like the lash legend Nikita Lions feud and like this horny stuff with Indy Hartwell and Persia Prada, That stuff just shouldn't be on. If you take out the bad, if they were able to eliminate the bottom 15% of stuff that we get on NXT 2.0 and replace it with good wrestling, all of a sudden we have a show that is a damn fun watch over two hours and doesn't take you out of it for those certain moments. Put Lash Legend and Nikita Lyons on uh, Level Up or whatever that show is. I told you guys I watched the first one. I haven't seen it since. Um, And then, you know, Persia Prada and Indy Hartwell, they're good Have them be a tag team again. Get them out of this stupid storyline with their boyfriends and have them challenge for the championships. You know, create a women's tag team division that means something because now you've actually established and developed women's tag teams. Use the other 15% of your show for that, not the stupid, you know, horny teenager stuff that, by the way, is not attracting a younger audience like you thought it would. You know it's gonna attract a younger audience? Good, consistent wrestling and storytelling. If you want it to be more adult, have it be more adult, Use curse words. Do adult-themed storylines. adult theme does not mean sex. There's other ways to do adult-themed stuff, more mature content than just sex. Look at what AEW does. It's a great example. I'm not saying we should have 17 thumbtack matches per week in NXT. Do some hardcore matches. I know they're not gonna blade, but you know, do things like that. Do storylines that are more modern without being based around sex. And I'm not some prude. I have no problem if they wanna do one uh, storyline about romance or sex or whatever here and there. Um, I think the Zion Quinn, Electro Lopez storyline is a good example of that being okay to do. But when you're trying to do four of them, you know, at a time, the show's too horny and it's turning people off. So figure out a nice balance. NXT is heading in the right direction. If you don't watch it and you only listen to my recaps, I highly suggest watching next week and then stand and deliver. And I would be very surprised if you watch those two shows and you don't start watching NXT again. That's all I'm gonna say. But that's also all I'm gonna say from this week's edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, because that's the end of our show, talking all things AEW and NXT. Now, we have plenty ahead here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. In fact, I released a full schedule for WrestleMania 38 week. Let me break it down for you. On Tuesday... We're going to have our supersized WWE WrestleMania 38 Ultimate Preview. We're going to talk about the go-home Raw, um, everything on the card. We're going to break down every match with predictions, picks, everything. It's an Ultimate Preview. You guys know by now. Listen to that episode. On Wednesday, we will have our NXT Stand and Deliver Ultimate Preview. We'll talk about the go-home show from NXT, and we will do the exact same Ultimate Preview, breaking down every single match. On the card for Stand and Deliver on Wednesday. On Thursday, we're going to do our AEW episode. We're going to wrap up Dynamite and Rampage as we normally do. Standalone though, so it'll be shorter. On Friday, right now the plan is to have a WWE interview episode. I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. I already talked to you guys about um, some plans that were made that didn't necessarily come through. Let me just be kind of candid. WWE's made some changes to its communications department. And uh, a lot of people that were really good to us aren't there anymore. So developing some new relationships. Let's hope that uh, the interview episode happens or maybe I'll pepper some interviews into stuff coming out of WrestleMania the following week. Anyway, on Saturday in the afternoon, we will have NXT Stand and Deliver instant analysis. I could not figure out when the hell else to do it. I'm gonna do a very quick instant analysis of Stand and Deliver as soon as that show goes off the air. Saturday night into Sunday morning, WrestleMania 38 Night 1 Instant Analysis. We'll talk about everything that happened on Night 1. Sunday night into Monday morning, WrestleMania 38 Night 2 Instant Analysis. We will talk about Night 2 and also provide our overall wrap up grade on WrestleMania. And then on Tuesday, we will talk about the Raw after WrestleMania and the Hall of Fame ceremony featuring The Undertaker. So let me do a count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Those are eight podcasts over eight days that you are gonna get next week from getting over basically what i'm trying to tell you is if you're a first-time listener you need to subscribe if you are someone who is a subscriber and listens to all of our episodes then you need to remember that the getting over wrestling podcast all about head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify leave those five-star ratings on apple leave a review tell all these people what i just told you all of the reasons you should subscribe to this show, why you should listen to every episode. WrestleMania week is officially... Almost here. This is technically still not WrestleMania week. We have a loaded schedule for you next week and I don't want any of you to miss it. Please leave those five-star ratings and of course the review on Apple. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We will update that schedule if it needs to be updated at GettingOverCast. We will post polls at GettingOverCast and every time a new episode is released we will tweet about it immediately at GettingOverCast on Twitter. Please make sure to follow us Folks, that is it for today. WrestleMania week is upon us. But at this point, the Silver King is just going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.